0: everybody. Welcome to the Linder B- Business Center here at uh, University of Cincinnati. We are in the business college for the last message out of the three in this series on call um, Today the topic we will be focusing on is the cost of following Jesus or God's call on your life um, and, and, and that might just be the cost of following Jesus if you may. Um, so today uh, we'll be we'll be examining kind of Three different main characters or or stories, I guess you could say. So we'll be looking at the call of Elisha, the prophet, um, and then Jesus' call to the young rich man or the rich young man, maybe, um, which Sam actually talked about a couple weeks back when we were um, talking about good or gospel. And then um, the last one will be uh, Jesus kind of talking to a group of people that were responding to his call. So um, before we get into it, I just want to give a quick few announcements. So, uh, like I said, this is the last message in this three-part series, and then we will be kicking off the uh, all of our summer activities, all of our in-person gatherings, and we just cannot be more excited. We are looking forward to it, and um, even we have our first event this Thursday, May sixth, um, because it is the National Day of Prayer, um, and so details will be coming out soon. Um, but there will be some you know, sort of gathering, uh, that will be announced. And I think maybe dinner afterwards, something fun, um, just to, uh, celebrate prayer and and celebrate all that God's done in us and through us. Um, so I really hope you guys can make it if you're in town, if you're still at school and, you know, it's all understood. Um, good luck on your finals if they're coming up, if they're over, you know, uh, God is good. Um, and so, yeah, I'll be back home this coming week and we'll get things started on Tuesday. Um, uh, a week from today, so um, yeah, I'm just having a. Uh, we'll do a quick message on that, and um, there there are a few events that are coming up this summer. So if you're interested in either getting involved and helping out with the group, or um, if you just want to kind of come along, we'll definitely be doing some service projects. Uh, we might even go on a on a little retreat, um, and we'll we'll be you know maybe going downtown, bringing the gospel, doing some fun stuff. Um, definitely we'll be having our in-person meetings on Tuesday evenings. So uh, please, uh, if you're able to, show up for those. It should be a great time. We'll be having fellowship afterwards as always. So uh, before I get to the message, I do want to say a quick prayer. Um, Just thank God for everything he's done and and, uh, pray that he works through me. So uh, Father, uh, we come to you with humble hearts today, just praying that you might work in us. I, I pray that you can... Uh, soften my heart and soften the heart of the audience so that we might receive this message and and really um, internalize it and and see what it means for us and uh, not just view it as a message for them but view it as a message for us I pray that you can teach me uh, through this message I'm about to give and and that the audience might learn as well Um, father thank you so much for all that you've done in in our lives in our schools on our campuses Um, and, and through the root I just pray that uh You can continue to work through us and use us as your vessels. Father, you are faithful. Thank you so much for your son um, and and showing your love for us in in the sacrifice of your son, uh, taking our place on the cross so that we might be reconciled to you. Father, uh, you are so good. Um, You are glorious. I I pray that we can praise you and glorify you in all that we do. Please speak through me today and uh, just um, use me as your vessel. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, cool, so um, yeah, so we 're going to start out and kind of see this call of elisha and this this message really stuck with me because I just thought that elisha 's response was radical, you know, I, I thought it was really, really cool, so um, Elisha at the time, was a pretty wealthy man, and um, I, he was kind of like a farmer, a landowner, and then Elijah, a prophet at the time, came to Elijah. He, Elisha, he called him, uh, and we'll see how here in a moment, and um, and then Elisha became kind of Elijah's, we'll say like apprentice, kind of like an intern or something, and uh, eventually Elisha succeeded Elijah and uh, became the prophet for Israel, um, so we're kind of seeing like, you know, this is like his job offer or something like that to be the apprentice for Elijah, um, and we will be reading this story out of 1 Kings 19, 19 through 21. So if you're following along in your copy of God's Word, that's where we'll be. Um, but no worries, I will read it for us. This is what it says, starting in 1 Kings 19, 19. <clears throat> so he departed from there, he being Elijah. And he found Elisha, son of Shaphat, who was plowing twelve yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was with the twelve. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him, and he being Elisha, left the oxen and ran after Elijah, and said, "Let me kiss my father and mother, and then I will follow you and he Elijah said to him, "Go back again, for what have I done to you?" And he returned from the following from following him, and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them, and boiled their flesh, and with the yokes of oxen gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. So what we see here is uh, Elijah comes to call Elisha to apprenticeship, as we said. Um, and there, there come kind of couple things that I want us to, you know, point that I want to point out that I want us to recognize within the scripture. So uh, we see that Elijah has twelve yoke of oxen. Um, so that 's a lot of oxen, and, and you know there 's nothing like really huge out of this, except that we know that elijah or elisha was was wealthy and in some capacity, he had well twelve yoke of oxen, a lot of oxen, um, and back in that day that was you know, that was worth a lot of money um, so he 's not just like some peasant on the street, which is fine there 's nothing wrong with that it 's just that he had a lot to leave in this call um, next we see that Elijah had an immediate response to Elijah's call. So when Elijah came, and I want to also point out how Elijah is a vessel for God's call on Elisha's life. Um, And so we can see that uh, God works through other people maybe to to call on our life, to to give his call to us on our life. So um, we see that Elijah had an immediate response. He even said, like, hey, let me go say bye, let me go back. But Elijah's like yo 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 like you can't just you can't just go back like this is like now or never like your heart's either in it or not like let's go and then we also see that you know Elijah isn't like okay like I'm just gonna get out of here he was like let's you know let's kind of give give away my wealth let's get rid of this whole life so that I might like sacrifice it to the Lord and give it to the people and therefore um, you know go go on mission. Christ, it's kind of in a in a Frodo or Bilbo Baggins kind of manner. We see here his his going away party. Um, but you know what what we see is that he takes all of his oxen, he takes all of the yoke, and he he you know like he cooks his oxen and he gives it out, and they kind of have the party. But he gives it away, and and then he leaves. And so um, I just kind of want to point out all these things because they will you know show up again as we. Um, observe other stories in scripture about people following God or Jesus' call in their life. So yeah, we we have Elijah, he's left a wealthy, you know, kind of high, upper middle class, maybe lifestyle. um, And he had an immediate response to, let's say, God's call. He wasn't just kind of like, let me think about it. Let me do this. He did say, let me do this, but Elijah helped him uh, kind of encouraged him like your heart's got to be in this. You can't just be in it halfway. You got to be in it, um, and you know. So he had an immediate response, and then lastly, we see that that he used what he had as, as a sacrifice to the Lord, and he provided for others in, in his wealth. Um, so he really gave it all up for God's sake. That's that's kind of the last point. Um, and so now let's kind of see what uh, what Jesus says about a similar situation. So this is uh, what we will read in Matthew nineteen sixteen through 30. Okay, so the rich young man, this starts Matthew 19, verse 16. Um, and yeah, this, this story, uh, it's really cool to see how, you know, biblical uh, stories can have so many applications. Like there's so much that we can take out of this. Um, so last time we were kind of, observing the story in the light of, you know, what is, like, a moralistic point of view of of Christianity. But now we're going to kind of view this uh, in a completely different light. All right, so we're here, uh, Matthew 19, verses 16 to 30, talking about the rich young man. Um, So this is what it says. And behold, a man came up to him, being Jesus, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? and he Jesus said to him why do you ask me about what is good there is only one who is good if you would enter life keep if you would enter life keep the commandments he said to him which one which ones and Jesus said you shall not murder you shall not commit adultery you shall not steal you shall not bear false witness honor your father and mother and you <coughs> you shall love your neighbor as yourself the young man said to them All of these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go. Sell what you possess and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, In the new world, When the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Okay, so that's a pretty dense... uh, There's like, I mean, there's so many you know, things that we could take out of that passage of Scripture. Um, But for today's sake, we're only going to be focusing on the cost of following Jesus. So um, what we need to, you know, kind of grasp is that when Jesus says, like, go and sell your possessions, he's talking to the rich man, go and sell your possessions and follow me, this is a call on the rich man's life. It's pretty distinct, too. I mean, in our lives, we typically don't experience God's call as vividly and obviously and clearly as Jesus standing in front of us, telling us exactly what we must do. Um, but, you know, the rich man, the young rich man had uh, this luxury, we might say, that it's pretty obvious that he is being called by God himself. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's one of the things that we have to establish before we get into this. So now we see that uh, this man's heart is, is kind of what's sick, what, what's the issue, Jesus knows that uh, this man is focused only on the outside and not on the inside. He's focused on obedience outwardly um, so that he you know, has, has kept all of the, the laws and is considered you know, a, a good Jew. Um, yet in his heart, this man is uh, he's sick. He's, he's got idols and he's, he's focused on the wrong thing. Even following rules can be an idol. That would be legalism. And so, you know, this, this has become an idol in his life. I think he has two main idols, at least that are expressed in this story, that being legalism and, and wealth. And so, and his possessions. So we see that uh, the love, the love this man has for wealth and for possessions has hindered his desire for God. And Jesus knows what his idols are. He knows that he's focused on keeping the law. He knows that he's focused on his possessions. And so he kind of, you know, he hits him where he's not being, I don't know, like he's not fully following Christ. We we may not all be able to, you know, we may not fully follow Christ. We're, we're not perfect. But, you know, everybody has these things. And these are the things kind of hindering him completely sacrificing his life to Jesus, giving it all the way up. Um, And so we see that this man is inwardly sick because his heart is truly set on his worldly possessions and not on following Christ. Um, We see that through verse 21, um, when it says, uh, let's see, Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Um, and so then in verse 22, we see that this man could not part with his idol to follow Christ because for him, it was too costly. And this further expresses this man's heart. He He's focused on worldly possessions, on worldly ephemeral things, because, uh, you know, if we think about what it is to follow Christ, I mean, that is like the greatest joy, the best thing we could ever experience. There's nothing better than following Christ. And this man is weighing that his possessions are worth more than giving them up and, and gaining Christ. And so um, he he went away sorrowful uh, because he was unable to truly understand the you know grandeur, like how awesome it is to truly follow Christ. Um, and also it's still like, even if we're focused on the great things that we might receive for following Christ, that is still incorrect. Our heart is still not focused on the right thing. Our our heart needs to be focused solely on Christ. And then other things will come, but we we still don't even need to worry about those. Those those shouldn't be as important as knowing Christ. That is of the utmost importance. It's number one, number one priority. Um, And so then the last, you know, kind of part we see Jesus talking to his disciples who did leave everything to follow him. And he, he promises an inheritance in heaven. Um, and, and they kind of have a different situation than us because they're there to judge the 12 tribes of Israel. And uh, that, that will not be uh, what we do in heaven, at least as far as I know in my theology. And so, um, but we, we will, like what holds true here is those that leave, as he gives a whole list of family members or lands... For his name's sake will receive inheritance um, and, and will inherit eternal life which is all you know those are all great but we still need to focus on on knowing christ like eternal life is great eternal life is awesome but the most important thing is knowing christ it is even better than eternal life that should not be our focus um but we do see some promises for uh following christ so um That kind of concludes the second story. And so now we're going to move to Jesus speaking again, um, this time in Luke 9, 57 through 62. Um, So this one, uh, it's kind of detailing there. I think it's like three people that come to Jesus saying, um, you know, they they kind of want to follow Jesus. They're responding to his call. um, and, And Jesus responds, a little bit. I would almost say, at least to me, it appears provocative. Like not exactly what I would expect. Kind of surprising, um, but you know, as we know, following Jesus and, and is not what we expect. So um, this is Luke nine fifty seven through sixty two. Uh, this is Jesus speaking, and so it says, as they were following along the road, someone said to him, to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him. Boxes have holes and birds, have, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me, God, Jesus calls him, uh, but this man says, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, "No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God." So, it kind of seems like these are some almost indirect responses to pretty direct situations, pretty direct circumstances. So let's kind of break this down. So, verse fifty-eight talks about Jesus saying that he has uh, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now, the Son of Man, of course, is Jesus, um, and so he's saying that following Jesus, like, if you're really gonna, like, follow him, like, you know, like, walk behind him in this situation, um, but even metaphorically, uh, it it is not easy, it is not comfortable, um, you know, we kind of think about following Jesus in, like, Americanized Christianity, where it's like, you know, I can follow Jesus, but I can get, like, that big house in the suburbs, and it'll be all great, and we'll have a... A family with five kids, and everything will be perfect and i 'll be rich um, but that 's not what following Jesus is at least biblically. Um, we know that that following Jesus is uncomfortable, that suffering is something that is even promised to us as as followers of Jesus, um, and even more that our earth as followers of Jesus is not our home, our home is, is of heaven of, of the new earth, and so uh, when Jesus says you know like I have no, or the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. It's because, you know, following Jesus is not going to be easy. It's going to bring about suffering. And even more, we're not even at home here. So in 59 and 60, we can talk about, or Jesus is kind of talking about how uh, we should prioritize the kingdom of God over something that we might view as, as biblical, as as right. And, and what I want you to understand that it is right. You know, caring about your family, wanting a family, wanting to you know, correctly honor a, a dead father, all of that is good. It's, there's nothing wrong with that. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying that this man's priorities are, are not straight, that they're not the way they should be. So we can look and see that the man says, let me first go, let me first go. So it's like, you know, it's priority number one, and then you know, the kingdom of God, Like I'll, I'll, I'll get to my call after that. And even though it's, you know, not wrong to to bury your father, to honor your father, or to even just, um, you know, honor a familial obligation or even a familial relationship or tradition, there's nothing wrong with those things with your family. Uh, But the the kingdom of God should precede any of that. It should be number one, priority number one. So we kind of keep seeing this come around, how uh, the call of God needs to be number one and we'll we 'll talk a little bit more um, in a moment about that, but this one really serves to express how the kingdom of God is even more more important than family. The call of Jesus is more important than family. Next, we see verses sixty one through sixty two this this talk about the plow, and we can even see some sort of we 'll say maybe allusion to the situation with elisha that we just talked about because he was plowing and and so now. Jesus says to him, "No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God so um, what what's going on is this person wants to go back just like Elisha did and say goodbye to his family at home and then and then you know come on, go on this uh, you know mission for Christ following his call uh, and Jesus is like, no, no, no one who looks back is is fit for the kingdom of God and this is the way this is why it's kind of hard to understand but when you were on a plow at that time, you had to be focused on what 's coming ahead on, on on like you know on your goal per se. If you looked back while you were on the plow, you would actually veer off course and so this kind of serves as a really good metaphor um, for how we should follow Christ when we are following Christ, we need to be focused on Christ, like just looking at him as soon as we look back at our past or at something to the left or the right at an idol or just our circumstances, then we begin to veer off course and we are no longer pursuing Christ. Um, And so once you start plowing, you really, you can't just turn back side to side or something like that because you will veer off your path. Um, And um, furthermore, we see that there is an initial response of yes, you know, I, I will follow you, Lord, except there's a yes, but... And so when we are, you know, called by God, when we understand our calling, we shouldn't say, yeah, 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 like, that's great. I'll do it. But let me, you know, but this, but that. It's like, yes, Lord, I am doing it. I am all in because this but expresses the heart of this man, that his heart's not fully into it. It's almost there, but it's, it's in, you know, in the kingdom of God, you're either all the way there or you're not all the way there. There's no in between. There's no but about it. Um, and so, yeah, these all so far have really served to express the priority of relationship with Christ, of following Jesus' call on your life. Um, and so, you know, even above things that aren't considered wrong in this world, that that are, you know, even like you know, it says like you know, love your father and mother and honor your father and mother. Like that's said in the Bible, we should do that. Um, But in this situation, it's just serving to express how the priority of Christ and the priority of the kingdom of God should be number one. Um, And so lastly, we're going to kind of see what Jesus says again um, about similar circumstances in Mark um, 8.35. So in Mark 8.35, it says, For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. That was Jesus speaking. I'll I'll say it one more time. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. And this is just another expression of truly following Christ. Of truly, uh, you know, going and giving everything so that you might have a relationship with Christ. and I, you know that I can't give a message without saying what Paul says on this subject. So um, we'll we'll see. First, we'll look at what Paul says to Timothy, which would have been like an equivalent to Elisha and Elijah as Timothy is kind of like Paul's like apprentice or intern or something of the sort. Same with uh, Elisha being like the apprentice of Elijah. So this is what Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.8. He says, therefore... Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. This is another expression that that following Christ is not easy. His call is not going to be like butterflies and flowers. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be great. You're going to experience Christ. You're going to know Christ in doing it. Yet, it's not going to be everything that we expect, and it's not going to be, you know, it's not going to be like easy or or comfortable. It's going to be hard. There's going to be suffering involved, uh, as Paul expresses to Timothy. Um, And and the last kind of scripture I want to mention um, is Paul writing to the Philippians. um, And in this same letter, he says, uh, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And that is just, you know, it is a powerful statement. It takes a lot of unpacking, but I just want to say that it's there. Uh, We don't really have time to focus on it. But I just want you guys to, to know about it. So I'm going to flip and we're going to finish here with Philippians 3, 7 through 11. Verse 7 says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. just as we don't have time to kind of really break down the, the last passage that I met, mentioned by Paul, this is another one. It is so dense, but I just want to highlight again the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Paul counts everything else as rubbish that he may gain Christ, that he may know Christ. That is the most important. That is, like, number one. It is—nothing is better than knowing Christ. But, you know, friends— having this radical response to Jesus' call in your life doesn't just come when you don't really understand what Jesus has done for you on the cross. We need to understand the gospel. We need to have been uh, truly redeemed by Christ. We need to have allowed uh, Christ to work in our life and his redemptive work to to work on our hearts so that we might respond to his call with the zeal that we see um, that Jesus Asks of those people in, in, the, um, in Luke 9, and that um, is expressed by Elisha, and that Jesus asks of even the rich man, um, but is also expressed in the disciples. In order for us to have that zeal, we must truly be reformed and renewed by Christ. The gospel must have taken root in our life. We must know that Jesus truly did take our place on the cross um, and sacrifice his life, taking, bearing all of our sins, that we might know him again. When he resurrected, he defeated death. Thank you, guys.